Uh, oh my goodness, look at the numbers. We do have a lot more in this class. They just seem to dwindle. A bunch of them are away. Even though they just had a, a reading break. Anyways. <laughs> missing so, all the good times? Yes, and they're really going to regret missing you. So um, we have Dave Olson, who was one of the first builders in Food Suite. Um, I'm sure you're all familiar with Food Suite. So he was VP of Community Building, right? I do believe. And he's going to talk about um, building community, some best practices, some of the ways that um, we'll see what I actually talk about. We'll see, okay. Well, we have asked him to talk about that. Um, building community and how you can do it with little to no major investment, which is what we at this point in the course are looking for because we're, we're working with students who have not a lot of resources and are starting up little businesses. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so the course, um, I told you a little bit about the course, they're all called the publication of the professional self. So they all have little enterprises that we're starting to, to get online and to grow. So we'll leave it at that and whenever you're ready. Please ask questions, guys. Yeah, I like questions and deviations. I will deviate myself and you'll probably have to remind me where I was from time to time so someone pay attention to that. And if someone <laughs> wants to like Hit a recorder for your classmates who aren't here, too. That's fine, too. Oh. And if you want to come it's down right. here, because I'm not going to show stuff up on the screen. In fact, you should probably just kill that. Yeah, it's all that okay. negative, worst thing about the course. Oh, no, the best thing. Look for the best. I can see the photo right now, hanging up right above my house. Because <laughs> um, I, I, ha I, 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 I make these little paper points and, in notebooks and stuff. So if you want to come down closer, too, you can. And, um, yeah, I was going to kind of just come in and do my usual spiel, but then I, I thought, well, you know, I'm a pro. I should probably look at what you sent me about the class. <laughs> so last night I made some awesome new material that is going to be, uh, uh, I, think, I think, rather appropriate. So I'm going to start with the new material, and then hopefully I'll rock through that, and I can go through some other, because I have all this other fun shit in the, uh, in the suitcase, too. Um, suitcase. Yes. Yes, this isn't a suitcase that I just purchased down at some second-hand store for 150 bucks either. I put those miles on that suitcase myself. And before I had a laptop, I had to have something to put my stickers on, too. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, um, ever since I was a little kid, I've been making little publishing projects. Um, I, have a, I have a slide. Um, when I was growing up in Surrey in the 70s, a time that probably only one of you remembers, um, uh, I started making uh, Ditto Machine newsletters. Now, Ditto Machine, you had this weird liquid stuff, and you'd make a master, and then you'd put it on this roller, and it was kind of like a little home printing press, and they'd use them for like church bulletins and school announcements, and, and in my case, um, I had one... Uh, and it just a few issues, you know, I had one here about Jake Milford, the then GM of the Canucks, going to Sweden to recruit Swedish hockey players. Like, as, as if that would ever work out. That was a ridiculous idea. And then this idea that they were going to build a 62,000-seat stadium in Vancouver, but they were deciding whether to build it in False Creek or in Guilford. Wouldn't that be awesome? There'd be, like, way more truck and tractor pulls if they put it in Surrey. <laughs> 
Rodeos. And uh, but I'm looking at this now, this little uh, one here. You see the header, 35 subscribers, which is about what my blog has now. Um, three columns, uh, you know, two typefaces. It's not too much different than what I'm doing, what we do now with digital tools, right? So then I moved on to uh, punk rock fanzines, Xerox machines. My parents were realtors. They were those people that you see with the, the bus boards. I don't know what it is with real estate agents, why suddenly that's like a thing you're supposed to brand your face. Like, is it, it's not a, a, a profession of particularly attractive people, right? I mean, dentists don't do that, do they? Like, what is it with realtors? But anyway, so I'd be waiting at the uh, bus doing what kids in Surrey do, sitting there with my dad on, on the bus bench. And, but I'd go use the Xerox machines and um, I made these little fanzines about uh, the punk rock music that was going on in Vancouver in the 1980s. And what I realized in doing that is as soon as you put yourself out there and uh, say, I am a media outlet, all of a sudden you get, start getting free shit. In this case, it was getting into shows for free. I was sneaking, this is at the Ramones at the Commodore. I was 14, um, and I'd somehow weaseled my way in there. Um, and start getting boxes of free records. And then you also realize that the other people who make, uh, who read fanzines are people who make fanzines. It's all very meta, right? And there's this whole other universe of kind of this um, semi-pro, oh, I have this, uh, yeah, there we go, the DIY, do-it-yourself, um, communities and all these uh, all, all around North America instead of guest posts uh, and recommendations we would do little scene reports or little blurbs that other people would put in their fanzines hey man Dave from Vancouver I think your fanzines really kick ass and they'd put that in there and then send me a copy and, and it'll circulate but what you did through that is you built this community and um, once I uh, got my Volkswagen bus and I started driving around the country, I already had all these relationships built up with people that you could go crash on the couch, go hang out with them, go party with them, and so on. So it's really the same kind of thing. It just happened at a much slower rate than we have with, uh, with social. Which brings me to this. I, I should have put these in like some kind of order, but I didn't. I just sort of sat and glued them in. And they were too, they didn't quite fit in this notebook. Nice scrapbook, hey? I make these myself. That's a board game on the back. And then a, a Curious George calendar on the front. And then you drill three holes, sew it up with some twine. Yeah. There was no Boy Scout badge for it, but I did it anyway. Um, so the point of all that is uh, all of this is new. All of these technology tools that we have are new. But none of the communications, none of the stories um, and things we're using them for are new. People get hung up on the next buzzword. Boy, howdy, in my job, I sure know about that, and everyone gets all excited and runs off and has to figure this new thing out, but they forget that it all starts with being interesting, and if you don't have an interesting story to tell, you're pretty much fucked, and you should just give this whole thing up right now, right? Um, and in my industry, um, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, I was living on the island of Guam in 1980, uh, 1995, uh, and Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead died. <laughs> Know who the Grateful Dead are? Okay. And I was, I'm a big deadhead, and, and it really freaked out, you know. Your deadhead freaks you out, right? And so you don't know what to do, and, and you can't just go check Twitter to see what the fuck's going on. Um, so there's an impromptu candlelight vigil, and we're all standing around a little circle like deadheads do. And all of a sudden, these other two guys show up, and, and they, they knew all the thing about the concerts and the, what happened and all this. And I'm like, how do you know all this? And they're like, 
we work for the newspaper. We have the internet. And I'm like, the internet? And they're like, yeah, man. It's like words and pictures, and it comes over your phone lines under your computer. And I'm like, computer? And the next day, I went to the class with the, um, the little local ISP, and they gave me the floppy disks. Do that, and it was like a 9600 baud modem. And modems probably don't remember making all these little squeaking, beeping noises. And I finally got connected, the, and dead.net was downloading like this. Oh my god, there's words, and there's pictures, and there's information. And then a brown tree snake bit into the uh, power grid on the island. It shut down power for three days on island. So I'd seen the future, right? And I was like, wow, I need to be part of this. Like, the, all of a sudden, you know, the three cents a page for Xerox copies, all the expense, you know, just disappears. And I've always been someone, like, besides those, I've made tons of other projects, and I'm always mailing shit around. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, this is a way that I can amplify stores on a much grander scale. But it's because I had something to say that made the whole thing useful. And in the, uh, the internet used to be... <clears throat> and still sort of is, about personal expression and ac sharing academic work, and now it's just become another place where people spooge their brand all over you. Um, I'm sorry, I'm part of the problem. Um, we're enablers. Uh, um, but there's, there's this, um, hmm. to me, the value of the stuff that comes out from regular folks far outweighs all the contrived marketing problem that comes out from these companies. And it drives me nuts that the internet has this terrible short memory, too. And I go to these conferences, and there's always the folk uh, who come out and give the talk. It's probably the same people who got everyone worked up about the Y2K bug. But they come out and say, like, the thesis is don't ever put anything on the internet because you'll never get a job, right? Because, um, you know, you hear about people, oh, my God, there's a picture of them with a beer or their arm around someone and their political career is ruined. So they make everyone all paranoid. Um, everyone knows that uh, regular folks don't hang. Facebook, Facebook is for, for moms and grandmas now, which is awesome. Um, people change their name, the whole real name policy. All these things that the outside forces are trying to constrict our behavior online are, are to me, are, are a big problem and undermining this massive, awesome tool of, of cheapness and interestingness that we have. So none of this is new. All of it's new. But, hold on, there's a slide about this. The technology is just a tool. This slide, I did not take this picture myself. This is an ancient Roman leatherman. Isn't this the coolest thing? Right? And I, I can scroll over. Um, and it's like, you think about contemporary tools. Like, I think about, like, if you ever have that like, oh, if I went back into Roman times, how could I prove that I was from the future? What skills or information or knowledge do I have? And when I see this, I have, even if I had a Leatherman and a lighter with me, I would have, like, nothing. I would have nothing. Oh, <laughs> yes. I suck, right? Because <laughs> um, everyone else is like, yeah, I have one too, and I made it myself. I forged the metal, and I mined it myself. Um, so... Every six months, there's some new thing that you have to be on. Right now, oh my god, all the marketers are getting all worked up about Snapchat. Oh my god, Snapchat, you have to be on it. Now, the last telegram was sent about 100, uh, sent just a couple years ago. Telegraph lasted 150 years. 
Do you think any of these tools will last 150 years? See, it used to be 20 years ago you could shingle your entire house with AOL, free AOL CDs. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad that one worked. I wasn't sure about that piece of material. Ubiquitous. But now, even weirder, I found like you, they were everywhere. And now there's a whole cult, there's a whole community of people who collect AOL CDs and trade them like rare sneakers. They have conventions to trade AOL CDs. Now, if that's, I thought the bronies were the weirdest subculture ever, right? The bros who are dudes who are into My Little Pony. Um, great film made by a local filmmaker here called Bronies. It's fantastic, yeah. Um, you have a nephew? You have one of these people yeah. in your circle? 22 years old. You have one too? The, fil the film is adorable, and you'll watch it, and you, you will get a little tiny bit misty. All right. Um, uh, AOL CD traders. Uh, it's totally weird, dude. Um, AOL CD traders. And so what are they doing with them? Like, Same thing people are doing with their Star Wars characters that they keep in boxes. They sit on shelves. And you talk about to your friends about the shit that you have. Like, hey, look, I have that one. And they go, wow, I have that one. And then, you know... That's all. And is it like I'm gonna sell this one on eBay? Oh, there's a yeah, yeah. Like there's a, a there's a whole dollars. there's a whole secondary market. Yes, yes. It's the tulip economy, man. This is basic e economics. With the the, the Dutch, they were all into their tulips. They inflated the price of tulips. The price of tulips crashed, and the economy died. And it's the same thing. Pokemon. Do you remember um, Beanie Babies? Uh huh. Yeah. You can't sell Beanie Babies for three hundred dollars each anymore. I think $3 each now. I think. <laughs> so the same thing. Anyway, AOL CDs, strange subculture. But the technology always changes, right? And then uh, for a while, there was this thing called GeoCities, which was one of the first things you could go in and make your own website. And then Yahoo bought them for a billion dollars. And what Yahoo does to companies, when they buy them, they unplug them and just shut them down. They destroy them. Sometimes they let them bleed to death, like my poor, poor beloved Vancouver-born Flickr. Um, but they just unplug GeoCities. The whole total volume of GeoCities now it can be stored on a $200 hard drive. But um, it's all this history of the internet that is just the regular people making fan pages, telling about themselves, telling their stories. And then, then one day that gets unplugged and they're like, ah, why bother? I'm not going to scan in all those pictures again. I'm not going to do that again. But you imagine if everyone who's like, you know, here at school, you write all these, you, you put a really good effort in all your like term papers and essays and shit, right? And then, um, I'm, I'm swearing too much, aren't no, I? No, you're not. No, you're no, not. It's just funny. Todd Maffin. Todd Maffin has the current prize. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I can kick Maffin's ass, dude. Yeah. We'll get a swear jar next time. Yes. Um, <laughs> no way, I can't afford that. It's tough enough coming up with a bus fare to get down here. Um, now I lost where it was. Oh, so, and all the sees it is like maybe one friend that you have proofread it, and then some professor who, there are all, all not like wonderful teachers like yours who actually read and, and provide constructive criticism. Some of them just skim over, or some of them don't really read and just put a C plus on the front or whatever. We all know it's true. Um, and then there's people who go to grad school, and then their, uh, their doctoral thesis, dissertation, what do you call it? Um, ends up on some shelf in some dusty library until they need the shelf space, and then that's all gone. Imagine all that information lived for free. And then people go, oh my god, students, they'll like plagiarize. And 
all millennials, they just have so much easy information to access that all they do is plagiarize. It's like, dude, it's awesome. We have access to the entire world's collective knowledge in a small little device, a deck of cards. I think you guys got to shut the fuck up because you're jealous because we had to do things the old, old way, card catalogs and books and stuff like that. It's like, great, we should be encouraging people to, to learn information. But I think that collective consciousness of all this crap that people, and people make endless fun of MySpace. So MySpace was cool for like three years. Um, but it'll be the same thing in three years for Facebook and the same thing for you know, everyone else. It, it all goes through, through, uh, through a cycle. Um, but I think that, that those sparks of personal uh, expression are, are tremendously important for their whole cultural knowledge. Oh, here's the ad interestingness slide. This is the first thing, and I'm sorry, none of these are any kind of logical orders, so you're just going to have to roll with me. Um, your minds are still malleable, right? Um, okay, we talked um, cheap and cheerful. So when I started um, building the brand at Hootsuite, it was me and six developers and Ryan. So everything that wasn't dev went to Dave. So, um, and, and we had no budget. So we got, up to, we got up to 6 million users before we spent any money on advertising. Um, everything I did was uh, community building, cheap and cheerful was, our, was the mantra. Um, I didn't do uh, events where you stand there with the trade show booth. Uh, I didn't do any kind of magazine or newspaper ads. I didn't do any of those pay to speak at conferences. So I basically broke every rule that you're supposed to do as a marketing. Oh, also I didn't buy uh, any uh, uh, pay-per-click advertising, like you know the Google search stuff. Like if you search for Hootsuite now, you see all our competitors showing up with ads. I love clicking on those; cost them two bucks each. Um, <laughs> but instead, um, here, the, here was my first steps, uh, and this all happened in the first, uh, you know, like, bam, right off the bat. That um, uh, is, I made a media kit. First thing, and this is the first thing you need to do, even for yourself. Um, uh, I have a personal website that's that's a mess called Devo Story that I'm trying to migrate 12 different blogs and all these old broken down sites and all these old HTML sites into one thing. Except I bit off more than I can chew because it's got like like 5,000 posts, and now I'm trying to categorize them all, and it's like going super slow. And I get like distracted. I'm like, should, am I smarter spending time organizing old Dave, or should I be making new Dave? Um, but on there, you'll see I have um, a sloppily done right now. Because, uh, but maybe one of you needs a little extra credit. You want to be my buddy? You can help me tidy this up. I'll give you some good knowledge. Um, but I made my own personal media kit, and in there it has um, 20 and 50, or your, your company, or whatever media kit you should. 20, 50, 100 word descriptions. Um, all the boilerplate shit that lives at the bottom of old school press releases that people still insist on sending, uh, all your company logos or project logos in all kinds of different uh, sizes, including vector formats. What I mean by vector formats is so when they take it to put it in some article, that when they resize it, it doesn't look like crap. Um, it's incredible to me how difficult companies make it to get their logo. And so you end up with screenshot versions of the logo, and so every time Hootsuite would end up in print or on web anywhere, it would be the proper version in the proper uh, format, so it would always look, uh, it always look nice. Um, also, I put in there things like how not to spell our name, because with a name like Hootsuite, you can imagine there's a lot of uh, various misspellings. Uh, 
um, executive bios in our case, um, uh, company milestones, this could be your own personal milestones, but basically like a stoked out resume that's a resource for any kind of person who's trying to pull up a dossier on you. Um, and I think of more of a dossier than a media kit is a better name for it because it sounds more like yeah. diplomatic and like, it, like we're in the French foreign region. I just said, ask <laughs> you to get me a dossier. Um, uh, plus links to various media announcements. Um, and then in my case, I also have a list of, and this probably since this is more about personal, the personal professional whatever publication of <laughs> publicizing you. Um, I have in there, and you can look at this, um, a, a roster of every, almost every speaking gig I've done, every media appearance with relevant links. Um, I find that every couple of years, the whole internet reinvents itself and doesn't archive itself very well. So a lot of times I will take articles and put a, a version there with a little preamble saying I'm putting it here for posterity, um, links back to original sources or cached sources. Um, but every kind of uh, media mention, every kind of speaking gig, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you start it now because going back and doing it is a real drag, you know, like it's really hard to like figure out where and when all that stuff was. So that's step one. If your personal website has one thing on it, that's what it should be. Call it a dossier instead of a media kit if it makes you feel better about yourself. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, the next thing you do is set up a listening dashboard. Um, and this is so, uh, whatever project that you're doing, I'm just going to call it projects rather than businesses or personal or whatever. Whatever project you're doing, you know, you're publishing some book, you're doing some tour, you're helping some client or whatever. Um, there's certain uh, brand terms, brand names, as well as certain topic terms and certain hashtags that you immediately want to start lis uh, listening to and um, in some cases archiving um, and interacting and measuring and so on. So I do a couple things for listening dashboards. I don't want to get too geeky on you because really the, as you can see by my accruement here, it's really not the computer stuff that gets me excited. but. Obviously, with Hootsuite, I had a Hootsuite dashboard, and now with all the apps, there's over 100 apps now, which kind of freaks me out, because I remember like that first day, we tried to do a little, um, we did a little hackathon, where I just went out and spent 20 bucks on a thing of coffee from JJ Bean and some, like, some stale muffins, and we had a hackathon, and now we have 100 apps and you know, millions of dollars of revenue from this app directory, because I, um, uh, so misspellings, uh, other things, people, um, you see this now on TV, since TV has discovered Twitter. Um, you know, five years ago, it's like, oh, why would anyone want to send out a 140-character message about their lunch? Now TV shows are basically the, the bottom third of the screen, and they come up with their hashtags, and their hashtag is like, dude, don't make the hashtag 70 characters long, because then the people don't have any room to write the fucking message, right? <laughs> um, so there's always organizations or TV shows or whatever that try to mold into one hashtag, but there's always the hashtags grow up from the from community and from consensus. When you're at a conference, there's the official conference hashtag, then there's the hashtag everyone's actually using, right? <laughs> um, so all of that shit, and it's, you know, you can set up as many columns and searches as you want. So for Hootsuite, I had probably 20 different misspellings I, I, I followed. Plus I find I followed things in all kinds of weirder, dark, darker corners. Um, there's a site called Social Mention I really like that goes into things like forums. People don't realize that people on the internet hang out in forums big time, big time uh, still. Um, comment strings aren't just for retards. Actually, retards isn't politically correct. 
They are, and comment strings aren't politically correct. Yeah, just comment strings are a mess. But if they're talking about your brand or your product or you, you have to show up. So you have to be monitoring all this shit because the conversation is going on whether you're there or not. And there's nothing more embarrassing or makes you look more like a dumbass than you're showing up there to respond after 20 people have slagged or given misinformation because your competitors are totally doing it. If they're smart, they are. Um, I mean, we have one Hootsuite competitor um, that their whole Twitter feed was, they were obviously just monitoring unhappy Hootsuite users. And, just, and then it was just response after response. Hey, you should try, don't like Hootsuite, you should just try Sprout Social. Next person, over and over and over again, right? And it's just embarrassing, embarrassing to them. We've squi squished them and destroyed them, so it's all right. Um, so you listen to everything. Um, actually, I had a slide about this. Would you like to see a visual representation of the listening point? Yes. Okay. Thanks. I'm glad one person does. That was resounding. Uh, there you go. There's your listening slide. It all starts with listening. Um, did you notice that listening came out before broadcasting all your unwanted marketing messages out to the people? It starts with listening. If you're not listening, you're totally hosed. And everything else you do will be a waste of time, honestly. Okay. Uh, the next thing is a media log. Um, and I, I, could go, I could do an hour and a half just on, on this, but I'll, 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 I'll try not to. Um, startups, whether it be a record label, a personal consultancy, someone coming up with a book, a tech startup, whatever, they do this mistake. Two people, I'll just say for the sake of a tech startup, tech dude and business dude, the suit and the geek, they napkin out some, uh, some idea, then they, they eat ramen and stay up till 3 a.m. for six months making this thing, building something. Maybe this is your book, maybe this is your whatever. And then it comes time to put this thing out to the world. And they're super excited because they've been thinking completely internal about this thing. All they've thought about for six months is this book, this label, this whatever, this uh, startup. And then it's time to, all right, we're going to put it out to the world. What do we do? How do we tell people? Because we haven't been outreaching to people. We haven't been building community. We haven't been building up that uh, posse. Um, and now we have this thing that we're really into. And then they, they, they do, oftentimes, a few terrible things happen. One, they go to a PR agency, and they spend all their money for some half-ass PR plan that involves advertising in a press release that no one looks at. And it breaks my heart, because people go and drop, when they don't have, they have 20 grand for their whole business, and they go drop it at PR agencies. I'm not, uh, especially early days, I'm not a fan of that strategy. Um, Thing two is they say, oh, I'm super smart because I can code. I can figure out marketing as well. And then they go out and they spend the money on, they sign up for, for trade shows because you're, you're vulnerable at this point. And the trade show people smell that. Oh, we're having something at Canada Place. Come on down, only $5,000. And then you pay for the carpet and then you pay for the internet access and you pay for someone down there. And you have the most miserable day of your entire life talking to a bunch of people who come by to see if you have free pants. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes, and, and, and thankfully this is dying now, people spend incredible amounts of money on yellow page ads when their business had nothing to do with local people coming in, you know? But early days of the internet, for internet-based businesses, it was really confusing as we've made this big transition to everything can happen uh, online. Um, 
So instead, what you need to do is from the second that you, oh, and um, the other thing I gotta say is people think of this as, oh, we're in stealth startup mode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> It's like there's a fine line between self-employed and unemployed. There's a real fine line between that, too, you know? Um, so, uh, so instead from day one, instead of being a stealth startup, you start building this thing up. This media kit lives on your site from the day that you start working on this project. You're going to fail in your business if you can't execute more interestingly and faster than competitors anyway. So you might as well throw down the gauntlet and put it out there to the world and what you're doing. And then you need to start um, listening to all the people who are going to potentially be your uh, community. Oh, I have a slide. Porter uh, should put these in order. Local everywhere. Oh, find handy locals. Just me and Ross Rebliotti. Um so you've got to find people who are uh, influential in the thing that you're going to do, right? So if you're putting out a series of uh, books, if you're starting a record label, if you're starting at dot-com, whatever you've got to do, you've got to find people who are actually going to care about this. And then you reach out to them personally. This gets to the thing at the bottom of the list, one hug at a time. Not mass mail, not blanket carpet bomb. You reach out to them and seduce them. We all have some experience with seduction, don't we? <laughs> right? You just can't uh, um, ask. You have to start by supporting that person's project, actually legitimately giving a shit about what they're doing, commenting, retweeting, putting a little thing, sending them a card. I'm a sucker for sending shit in the mail. And once you do that, oh my god. I haven't gotten one yet. I gotta get one. He sends postcards to people. Yeah. Gorgeous. You get me in real life, though. You know those people who are, who are getting cards, and they're all putting them up on Facebook right now. Those people that haven't seen me uh, twice in a year, twice in one year. So that's, so you're, I think you're winning. I'm winning, okay. Yeah. I'm going to say that now. Uh, <laughs> nice maybe there might be something in here, though. Maybe there might be a consolation prize for you. Um, so you find these handy locals and you start supporting them um, and for months out and you spend that time. And the people who start responding and um, express interest in you, because everyone knows how it is. Like someone sends you a message, you're like, what the heck is this? And so you start click on, you go down the rabbit hole real quick and you figure out who they are and you figure out what their motivations are. Um, you figure out if they're just like, you know, spam account or if it's some uh, corporate headhunters or you, you figure out real quick, right? So then the people who start reaching out um, and, and, and responding and have clearly taken a minute to figure out what you're about, you start um, asking them questions. You don't tell them things. Don't please, please like us. Dude, you do something likable, man. I can figure it out. I'll know that I should go there and <laughs> like you, right? Follow us. No, man, I don't want to follow you. I want to participate with you. Like, I want to be part of your culture. I don't want to be a, a, a subservient part of your world. I want to be in your world, right? Huge, huge uh, difference. So then the people who are going to be able to help you down the road, you really start cozying up to, and you start letting them in on your plan a little bit. 
and saying, hey, we have version one out, we have demos out, I have galley proof out, would you mind if I sent you a copy? If you have time to give me some feedback, great. If not, I totally understand. And that will winnow it down to a few more, fewer people. And then, oh, slide. Once you've found these handy locals and people who are, the term influencers, I feel like I have to, like it's buzzword bingo now, but influencers, and you build a posse with them. Now, as you can see by this little uh, uh, roller hockey team I coached in Olympia, Washington, you don't always get the best looking, solidest looking team. Just, most of these kids couldn't stand on their skates, but they're the ones who showed up and got assigned to you. So this is the people who respond and show interest in your project. You're going to get some wing nuts. You're not going to get some A-level talent necessarily, but they're what you got, and you have to embrace that. And then you have to use uh, all your emotional intelligence um, to find out how you can uh, invite people into your culture, now that you've invited people into your culture, how you can get them to participate in your culture. Because everyone's cool to someone, and everyone's got some magic skill that we don't really quite realize right off the bat. But, um, so there's this, um, there's this lovely lady named Lydia in the Netherlands. And from early days at Hootsuite community, she was, the second any tweet would go out, the second any blog post would go out, bam, like the second she was on it, right? But every rule that I have about, like there's a whole ambassador program where we have like 800 something brand ambassadors now at Hootsuite, but she was one of our very first. But every rule about the ambassador program was pretty much created because she would be pushing the limits. Like she took, she downloaded all the help articles and, and made them into a PDF ebook that she was selling. No, 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 you can't do that. She's like, no, no, I'm just trying to help people. I'm like, I get it, but you can't, because this, you know. Um, but basically, she kept on pushing the barriers a little bit. So we had to rein her in and find something that she was really good at. And I was like, so the way you do this, you kind of triangulate. What is it that, that, that they want out of life? And in her case, she was trying to be a social media consultant in the Netherlands. I said, great, what you ought to do is just raise your profile by uh, letting you put on a Huda. What's a Huda? Well, that's an event where we get you to put on, it, put on an event for free for us. We'll send a couple hundred bucks and a bunch of swag. You buy a round of beers, you give away some things, and we may, back at HQ, would make goofy little videos, put on funny hats like for the Germans or the whatever, and we'd... Uh, um, make little funny videos and they'd play them at the thing and they'd just get together and then they had some raffles and maybe someone would give a little 10 minute talk about how to do something, you know. Here I was to do geolocated monitoring her. And, uh, but for her it was awesome because all of a sudden it put her in the center of that little satellite culture. So all of a sudden she was like, oh, I'm the one that puts on the Hootsuite events in the Netherlands, so I must be important, right? Um, so you don't know who you're gonna get, but they're the ones who show up so you gotta embrace them. And then, when it comes time for you doing your release and announcement and putting your stuff out there to the world, you have this posse that you can prime from a week up before. Because, oh, this is the other thing that people do. People at launch and they expect their local newspaper to write about it and they expect that article to have some impact on their business. And that's adorable, right? It's really sweet in the 1980s, right? And there's a lovely lady here in, in town named Jillian Shaw who um, writes about tech and communications and stuff for the Vancouver Sun. And she's a, really a, a, a nice lady. and She's become part of the social world. She and I are in a documentary film together. It's really good. It's called Generation of Social. It's on CBC. And it's all about me getting ready to go to South by Southwest. And I have, I have a cane for a different reason. That time it was a broken foot. And, and I made a giant owl bus. But she's also in the, in the film. 
Um, it's not the media coverage that turns the dials, that sells the books, that gets people ordering stuff. It's the attention in the culture. So what, the way you have to think of media coverage is it's uh, an introduction for people. It's a gateway drug into your culture. Because you can't go out to say to people, my shit is awesome, this is best band ever, the best startup ever, the best book ever. Whatever you say out of your mouth about something you've created has almost no meaning at all. In fact, it almost has a counterproductive effect. But anything that anyone without any kind of qualification says about your product, online, offline, verbally, typing, whatever, instantly, just by the merit of the, someone other than you said it, has infinite more power than whatever you say. So, with this posse and these media contacts and all these folks that you're seducing, slowly over the six months while you're writing your book, while you're starting your label, then you're like, great, so we're putting this out to the world. We'd love to get, uh, your help on this coverage. What I would do with Hootsuite is I would keep the same embargo on our announcements as all the people on our media list. And so we, I would drop everything, so I'd hit New York de desktops at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it had this cascading effect where, because uh, there was multiple points of messaging, there was the, the you know, the, uh, and I would put up um, a media release, um, which I really encourage you to do, but do it in a completely different way than you've been taught. Write the media release as though you were the journalist and you had no fucking time and you had to have the article in filed in 20 minutes. Um, and imagine that journalist like that and write your article with that per journalist in mind. What does that journalist want to do? They want their angle already identified, who's the audience, why this matters to the outside world, a quote from someone, God help us, other than the CEO, a quote from a customer, a quote from a random human, just not a quote from the CEO. Um, and, um, and something that's easy enough where they can basically copy and paste it uh, rearrange it, turn a bulleted list into a comma delimited list, you know, whatever. Um, so you make your announcement like that. Don't put the boilerplate stuff at the bottom. Don't do the self-serving stuff. All The first paragraph shouldn't be about the history of the company. Um, so you put that out there. You put that on the blog. You have um, the, the, everything point back to the one central place in the, in the blog. So that's your canonical source of everything. And then you have all these other people who you've given the advanced announcement, say, we'd love for you to talk about this, this, and this, especially this magical feature, this awesome shit, and this other thing. Um, here's some, some assets. Um, when we ship new releases for Hootsuite, I'd always send out screenshots with them because if you don't send out a screenshot, the time-constrained journalist takes a screenshot and runs their screenshot with the article, and it's got all kinds of extra crap in there. They usually embarrass themselves because there's some direct message that they forgot to block out. Um, instead, we would tailor the screenshots, don't tell anyone this, where we would um, take all kinds of tweets from interesting people and arrange them in columns, and they all have the sent via Hootsuite, so we'd have, you know, interesting people. Oh, there's Barack Obama, there's Dolly Parton, there's some other interesting thing. <clears throat> don't tell anyone. All my secrets. Um, and then the Hootsuite logo on the bottom, we know it's a good resolution, got the rounded corners, because we're web 2.0, you have to have rounded corners on everything or else your membership card is revoked. And um, so they would always have nice things to send with it. Then I'd always send out some picture of smiling, uh, smiling faces articulating our brand somehow, like this. This is from a hoot up in Italy, because that hoot up, like after 
they started happening with Lydia in the Netherlands. We did 500 in the first year. We spent about 200 bucks on each one. So there's some, there's, there's some marketing budget for you, right? That wouldn't get you an ad in something or a trade show booth at one of these Comdex Web Expo Next Level Conference Vegas 2016. Um, here's what we're saying. You see the awesome little owl masks? Um, so Ahudak in Hawaii did an arts and crafts project where they made owl masks out of paper mache and felt. And I was like, awesome, right? Um, we took that idea and combined it with the simplicity of a Denny's menu and put it on a thing and then you had to cut it out and it had the dotted line around it and it had little holes to poke through to put the string. So when we'd send out a big stack of these for a hood up, they would have to, in their instructions, they'd have to, whoever was putting it on, had to get some blunt nose scissors and a piece of string. And then all these people, grown-ups, you know, adults, um, would go to this hood up to talk about a tech product that all happens in these two-dimensional screens and all of a sudden they're playing with scissors and glue and string um, so it gives them a whole other uh, feeling uh, about our brand. Now this particular picture, this is uh, uh, an airline in Italy, like a little regional airline in Italy, sponsored this, this hood up. So here we have this awesome picture that costs us nothing to produce. Um, that's three Italian flight attendants wearing owl masks, um, which is just, that's a great branding picture. Now if you were to try and get, uh, say, Okay, so imagine instead you hire a PR agency and they spend 5,000 bucks having an off-site workshop uh, to come up with this idea and you get a photographer and you get the models and you get the outfits and you end up with a picture that actually has proper lighting and you put it out there to the world and everyone goes, staged, yeah, so you took some pictures of some girls and some owl masks, right? But this actually bubbles up real time from the community uh, and to me, this is infinitely more powerful than anything that you can produce uh, in-house. We did have to pay the postage on those masks, though. So there was probably you know, a bit of cost associated with this picture. Um, OK, then once people start covering your project, you need to log all this media. Um, whenever anyone, whether it's Bob's blog or Mashable or Wall Street Journal, would write about Hootsuite in early days, uh, I had a whole checklist of stuff that I would do. Step one is put a comment. Comments, the world of comments is kind of changing a little bit on the internet. But you put a comment in there for a couple things. One, to thank them for covering you. Two, to correct, correct any mistruths that they might have said. You know, to clarify, you have to do this very gently. Don't want to say, you're lying, you son of a... Um, and three, it shows other people that, if, uh, that you're paying attention, right? Because uh, if your competitors can't show up and talk shit about you, people have to then keep the conversation semi-civil because they know you're paying attention and you're there participating. So with all these media dashboards I'd have, um, in the morning I'd go around and do a complete sweep of every blog, uh, every news site, no matter how big or how small, that gave us any kind of coverage, gave a comment, then saved it to a delicious bookmark that would then uh, broadcast out over another Twitter feed and then, that, then it would go into a weekly uh, news roundup. Um, so uh, every Friday I'd do like, hey, here's who's talking about Hootsuite. And I'd commingle Bob's blog and Mashable and Wall Street Journal in no particular order. And all of a sudden, all these other media outlets out there would realize that we really actually appreciate the coverage. We respect what they're doing. And what is everyone on the, uh, on the internet? More eyeballs, more clicks. 
and we were given the map too because we were given six little funnels into their article from our big channels. Um, people really appreciate that, and they um, uh, then they're going to be more inclined because you're fun to work with and you have an interesting story. Um, next time you have something to share, share they're going to be uh, uh, ready to do that for you. Make sense? Yes? Okay. I just had a question. So yeah. the woman in the Netherlands, when she wanted to like photocopy your manuals and send them out to everybody, you can just download them. You don't have to photocopy anymore. Yeah. She was going to yeah. do an e-book. Like, why wouldn't you let her become she was selling e it. Was she selling them? She was selling it, but also that we have to control. Um, there's parts of the brand you can give away, and parts of the brand you can't. You need to control. And we've been very liberal at Hootsuite because, like, we did all the little owl arts, you know, the, you know, the owls in costumes. You've seen those, right? Um, and those became, I mean, there's hundreds of them now, right? Um, but there was people who would make their own of that and start to, like, use it as avatars and things like that. So some things we'd have to kind of, like, gently squash. Um, gently squash. So how, yeah. so how do you decide, like, what to gently case by squash case. and, like, what? Yeah, th this, is, this is tricky, man. Um, it really is, because you want, you want to encourage people to participate in the brand. Um, so you have to find a way to tell them no and channel their passion into something else without bumming them out. Um, but there was, lot, there was a lot of tricky situations. Um, so with Libby, that, you just kind of said, okay, you be the center of the Netherlands. Who, no, it took a lot more hand-holding than, than that. We had to put a lot of parameters around her. But, but basically, you start to give people specific information. And, but this is early days, and we were starting 20 different programs then. Now there's a whole ambassador guidebook. Here's what you can and can't do. But most of those rules came from those examples. But you never know. You can't possibly predict what's going what's gonna to hit you. But we also did things like the translation project, where we're encouraging people, like strongly encouraging people to participate in our culture by going in there and doing... Uh, translations. Um, so you want to keep that enthusiasm going. Um, so you give, I, I guess the answer would be give them lots of things to chew on so they don't have to go find things to chew on themselves. Right? right? So they're helping with the translations and then bam, oh we're going to release a new owl design for the United Kingdom but we know there's British Isles and you know, Wales and England. So what should we do? Let's have a conversation about this. Distraction, shiny object. Meanwhile the Germans um, <laughs> You know, we're, put, we're pitting the Polish, you know, we couldn't get the Germans enthused to do the translation, but we had this kid in Poland who was just, it became his hobby to translate Hootsuite into Polish, right? And we totally made him part of our, our you know, we adopted him, you know, and, um, and he put on a hoot up and two people came and, you know, he was really bummed about it. Meanwhile, we can't get the Germans excited about doing anything, right? So I thought, what could we do to get the Germans worked up? And I said, well, we're going to release Polish. And people are like, well, what about German? I'm like, Germans don't seem interested. <laughs> and uh, German was done a month later. Oh. Yeah. Um, but it's a lots of little psychological games. Psychological games sounds like they're manipulation. It's not manipulation. But um, actually, you know what? There's a slide that might actually help us with this. Um, this is from my crowdsourcing like Tom Sawyer talk. I can find it. Hopefully I made it in here. Um, all right, so you need to find the things. You need uh, to find excitement, mystery, and inertia. Using the magic keys to getting people, keeping people participating in your thing. Okay? There's frequent, uh, forward momentum frequently shared is super key. 
So if you invite people, and this is a lot of like political organizations or nonprofit organizations have this problem. They put a huge amount of energy into putting the message out there saying, um, come help us, come participate, come volunteer. And then people show up and say, yeah, I'm here to volunteer. And they're like, ah, oh, we don't, uh, and they, or it's one size fits all. Oh, we want you to go around and canvas and do fundraising. Well, I'm not really, I'm kind of shy with people. I'm not really comfortable with that. Well, we can't let you into this. We can't let you into this. So you kind of get boggled about what it is to do. And then you just sort of get dumped in this pile. And when it's like, oh, there's a big rally, come to that. Or tell your friends to like our Facebook page. Like there's no real meaningfulness, but people want to be part of something bigger than themselves, right? And if you can share it, so like with the Hootsuite community, every week we'd have a little community video comes up, it would come out. And we'd sit on the roof of the building because the office was literally so. Um, and we'd be like, hey, right on this week there was a hoot up in Italy and it was cool and this and we'd, you know, and we want to give a special shout out to so-and-so in Poland for helping us with. Um, so we're always showing the forward momentum and we're frequently sharing that communication. And so it keeps people excited about feeling part of being something bigger than themselves. And you make it like, uh, you make it fun and lighthearted and enjoyable, right? There's enough serious stuff people are worried about. Um, so you make it fun to participate. And another thing about nonprofit groups, I mean, I've been involved in a lot of different activist things and you leave a meeting just feeling bummed out because it's like the organization is burying itself under its own organization and there's really no forward progress where we're just tabled out stuff from the agenda from last time. So share all the little baby steps and, and make everything uh, uh, simple because then it provides inspiration to people to do things on their own like make invent owl masks, like, um, like the one we did, we did with the language launch, with the translation launch, we did a big hoot up in Irkutsk, Siberia, hmm. right? And once you, that happens, then you have a whole other story to tell all these other hoot-ups, right? Oh, yeah, they did, we did one in Irkutsk. You can do one in Barcelona, you know? Um, and then, what does that say? Uh, participation, not manipulation. That was the thing about it. It's not psychological games. You want to encourage the participation, but you can't get manipulative. You can't over-ask. You can't overreach. You can't give them deadlines. You have to discuss things and ask them for how much they want to engage in. And, oh, there's another one. You actually have to care about these people. You have to actually be your audience. Now, there's people, I've been on medical leave. I got some shit going on. I've been on medical leave from Hootsuite for a little while. But there's people who I've never met in real life that were part of my ambassador program that I've helped spark their careers that keep in touch with me frequently. They send me postcards. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's because I actually took the time to get to know them. What are their career ambitions? What's their challenges? What's going on in their world? How come they've come to us? How is it that they have spare time to help us out with this thing? What is it that they want to do? So this is the um, actually becoming and hanging out with your audience. And everyone talks about this word called authentic. But, oh, you have to be authentic. Your advertising has to feel authentic. No, no, this is what feeling authentic is. This is in getting dirty with your audience. Um, you know, this dude with his microphone hopping off the stage is all awesome because you get to, like, party with all these, like, hot mamas down there. But also, you know, you get an armpit in the face sometimes. You know, it's not always clean. And, and uh, so this is the problems that, that um, you know, there's, there's conundrums that happen, you know, like I mentioned with people kind of overstepping the bounds. But you mitigate those by actually participating, actually getting to know the people, actually seeing what it is that motivates them. Um, because you can't overreach and you can't manipulate. I think of it as being the bus driver. 
right? Now, when you're on the bus, um, theoretically, all the people on the bus could overpower the driver and take over, right? But if you, as the bus driver, have a sign in the front of the bus saying where you're going, we're going to get my book on the, some list of books that have sold a lot. <laughs> we're going to start this thing. We're, we're on the road to 100,000 paying users, whatever it is, right? That's your metaphorical bus because that phrase is too long to put on the front of a regular bus. So you let the folks know where you're going. So in the case of the Hootsuite community, we're going to translate Hootsuite into 30 languages or whatever, right? Do you want to get on this bus? Yes, they say, I want to get on this bus. Then you, as you as the bus driver, if you provide a fairly pleasant ride, you're not endangering their lives, you're not yelling at the kids in the back who are just trying to sip a tall can from the paper bag. You just sort of let that slide because you're not causing a problem, right? Um, but when someone starts getting sloppy, then you have to like, oh, whoa, whoa, deal with the problem. So you build up trust when you're a bus passenger with the bus driver, right? This is kind of the relationship you're building up with these um, community, uh, the people in your community. Sometimes uh, when I go to these conferences, people describe community organizers like a party host. Like, no way, dude. The party host is the one dealing with the cops, the one cleaning up afterwards. No, no, no. You want them to, you got to keep this relationship simple, right? You don't want to have to hold anyone's hair back while they puke. You're the bus driver. You take them to this place. No, no, no. You're not, you know, you're not adopting them, but you're, you're taking them for a ride. So that's kind of how you got to think of your relationship with you and your community. You want to get emotionally involved. You want to help them, but you can't, um, you can't overdo it. Um, to the point where it gets manipulative. Uh, okay, um, responses. For all this media logging stuff and all these comments, um, uh, eventually you have to delegate some of this. You can't do all your professional, personal publicizing yourself. Eventually you'll need a, a helper. Um, I love helpers and at Hootsuite I had dozens and dozens of helpers. I brought them in from all over the world. All your little doppelgangers from all the other universities and all these other countries. A lot of them have practicum programs, right? And so I'd have this whole little Tintin book in my office from like kids from 16 different countries all at once. And uh, I think I sparked some international diplomacy, if you know what I mean. And uh, <laughs> um, so I would have a Google Doc with a bunch of kind of like, this is how we deal with the comments. We don't get aggressive. We don't do this. We don't do this. Um, um, but also positive messaging and have all kinds of canned messages so you can teach other people your tone and voice because a lot of what you're doing is teaching them your tone and voice as well as in the case of a, in a corporate context keeping them uh, some junior employee for saying something that's going to get you into, into trouble or be misconstrued. Um, and then you plant gardens and um, I have a slide about don't boil the ocean that goes with this. Okay, so people get obsessed about you have to be present in every freaking community. Oh my god, our G plus page is neglected. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, um, instead of trying to do everything and being everyone, everything to every, every you know what I mean, everything to everyone, uh, all, all things to all people. Yeah. Um, plant your gardens one at a time and get those gardens to where they're flourishing and sort of self-sufficient. And what I mean by this is places where you hang out online, um, forums, communities, pages, projects, campaigns, um, online or offline, programs, 
start one, you get it up and spinning, and then you kind of, you know, like those, um, uh, and then you sort of hand it off, put it aside, start, uh, get another one going, then come back to that one, keep that one spinning. But if you try to do too much all at once, um, you're just going to get overwhelmed and you're going to do a crappy job everywhere. So what you got to do with starting these different communica communication channels with different audiences is you have to clearly define what each communication channel is about. This is what we use Twitter for. This is what we use Facebook for. This is what we use our mailing list for. You got to respect those channels. There will be some people who are your super fans that will get messaging on all of those different channels. But as I tell people when they would say, well, Hootsuite, you don't put out the same message to Twitter and Facebook. No, you don't. No, you don't. You use different vocabulary, different vernacular, different shorthand, uh, different messaging. And plus, you by respecting that channel, um, you put up certain things for um, that work in certain locations. Like with all the, um, the pictures coming back, like the, the Italian uh, flight attendants in the masks, um, and all the pictures of, of the Owly mascot and all the stickers. Because, you know, like if you're uh, a Hootsuite volunteer and you're in like wherever, right? Um, and then we, you, we send you a little hoot kit. Hoot kit is a fancy name for an envelope with some stickers and a pin in it. But I was down at South by Southwest and my swag hadn't arrived. So I had to like scramble. So I went to the Japanese dollar store at Tinseltown. I bought some the side loading rice paper Japanese envelopes and the stickers and pins. And I sat there on the grassy lawn. This is how you build a billion dollar company. Um, <laughs> stuffing envelopes um, of these little stickers. And at South by, it's like brand spooged everywhere. It's just out of control. Everything is branded. Everything is wrapped. Everything is amplified. And instead, I had these plain brown rice paper envelopes that had some tactility to them because they had like a, a, a pin in them, a pin and two stickers and a tattoo with no labeling on the outside at all. And, and as I'd meet people, as we'd have a conversation, or I'd see, you know, people would see my t-shirt or whatever, and I'd present them. I'd be doing, if you've ever been in Japan, and very serious about business cards, you have to have a business card two-handed. So I took, so I took that on and I'd present them with their hoop kit. And they're like, oh my god, what is this? <laughs> so the marketing guy says it's 35 cents worth of swag, right? But to them, they're like, oh my god, I'm in the club now. Right? There's mystery involved in this. There's like, it's like opening the book, not closing the book, right? This is all what's in this. And they're like, am I allowed to open this? Can I take this across borders? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, um, now those have become like a whole thing. Literally tens and tens of thousands of these hoot kits have been mailed all over the place. But you're in some country, you're the social media geek in some town. And you've been telling all your friends at your little local university about there's this thing called Hootsuite. Imagine this is four years ago, right? Um, and you get an envelope in the mail, because like who gets stuff in the mail aside from notepads from realtors and BC Hydro bills? And you get this envelope, so, and it's got a couple stickers. So it's, what do you do? You take a picture and you tweet that shit out, right? I, got, I just got a hoot kit in the mail. And so we take all these pictures, and believe me, there's thousands of them. Because uh, we also have like the little plush owly mascot. Someone in Japan knitted, crocheted a little owly mascot. And we said, oh my god, these are awesome. So we commissioned 20 more from her, but they're all hand done. So it was like, well, it'll take me about eight months. So we actually, we actually had some mass produced um, as well that would fit in the end of um, a t-shirt cannon. So it could fly these little <laughs> owls, <laughs> owls out. I'm this good, right? I'm yeah. this good. Yeah. And... Uh, You'd think I went to college or something. 
Um, so all that stuff, all those fan kind of pictures. Well, the blog's not really appropriate because the blog's kind of where we talk about our, ourselves. Facebook, shit disappears in Facebook after a couple minutes. And plus, if you're a brand now, if you're a page, um, it's very hard to get visibility. Twitter, well, Twitter we kind of keep for important announcements. Or, you know, like there's this, there has to be another back channel, right? So I was like, ah, this is what people do with Tumblr. Bam. Lifeofowley.com, register that and point that to Tumblr and... So you can go look at it now, Life of Alley. And it goes on like it's an infinite, like uh, how long can a web page be? It's like a Zen Cohen, right? Um, and this goes literally on fucking ever. Um, I still remember the first picture um, is a friend of mine called Danielle holding the owl head. Um, and it started with, with that. And you know, keep in mind that the, the owl costume itself has a lot of folklore because um, not only have a lot of famous people taken pictures with the owl, um, is that the crocheted owl? There's the crocheted owl, and then there's the, there's the owl suits. There's two generations of the owl suits, neither of which I have ever worn. Um, instead, I hire a guy on Craigslist. When I'd go like, to, to some conference, instead of like, having the trade show booth, I'd be like, red carpet photo ops with Owly at noon, right? And I'd hire a guy on Craigslist to show up the next day, put on the costume for two hours, pay him 20 bucks, and go take pictures with all the conference attendees because they're like, I want a picture with Alan. Because that's the way they could get the stickers too. So I, I steal their image, put it all over the internet. And so that way I have tons of pictures of people with a smile. Smiles and eyeballs are so much better in dot-com advertising than screenshots. And the, the, what I said about the screenshots uh, earlier though, you also notice if you go back to the old press release and the screenshots, I'd always have someone's profile open, so you had that face of some smiling thing there. Smiles and eyes go are are critical in this kind of shit. So I now have literally eight million photos of people reacting to our brand with their amateur photos that then we can repurpose. And what this does is this models behavior to other people who are just learning about Hootsuite now, just learning about the ambassador program, just learning that they can participate. And they see this and they're like, oh my god, these people really take care of them. Because here's pictures of all, the, all these people that's hoot up are having fun. They're making arts and crafts. Look at these little masks. Look at these envelopes. I'm really, they feel part of it. So um, here's the important. I have a question on the comments. That's the, that's the one hug at a time part. One hug at a time. Put on a t-shirt. But I get 10%. I just get a question in the comments. You said it's changing now. Um, lots lots of places using Facebook commenting. Um, the, I'm sorry, I should I let you actually ask the question well, that's, first. That's, you, just, you had mentioned okay. earlier that you know, commenting is really important to be present, but then you said it's kind of changing now. I just wanted you to talk a little bit Okay, so um, spammers basically, every time WordPress or Discus or, or whoever would change their uh, commenting algorithm, keep on ending up with spam. So like, uh, you guys are familiar with WordPress, yeah? That's what their filter okay, sites are. Okay, great. So... Um, on WordPress.com, they have a tool built in called Akismet that filters out spam. But you end up with a huge amount of spam. And so if you're running your own site, every day you've got to go through in there and do all the comment approvals. And it gets to the point where it's one out of 100 is legit comment and the rest are Viagra ads. And then you get the situation of trolls is problem number two. So no matter what you put on your thing, and we've had this problem <coughs> back in the early days, where like, you know, we have support channels. Because remember, I just said respect the channels. If you have a support question, you go to the support line. If you have a picture of a cute owl, you go to this line, right? But we would get people going in there and bitching and moaning about like, 
I can't believe you charge for fucking product. In the blog comments, so we have to go in there and kind of mitigate that, say, oh, we understand your concerns, but please go over to the help thing, you know? Um, and so, like, the value of good comments versus the time and effort put into guarding all the comments, it started to get a little bit stilted. And so then you have tools like uh, Discus and Livefire that have kind of like a bolt-in plug-in system that you put into your WordPress blog or something. And then the people have to authenticate in order to post a comment. They have to use um, Twitter or Facebook or Google authentication. Right? So um, whereas on your standard WordPress, anyone can sign up for an account, um, but then you have to be approved for an account, you know, and then you have to get your comment approved. So the, the conversation was removed from comments because it beca became such a lag time um, to get comments approved, and then you had to go deal with the knuckleheads. Um, so as the web has gone more from, as the online experience of late has gone more from blogs to things like Facebook, everyone thinks, oh, putting in, doing Facebook commenting will be really easy for us because everyone has to be authenticated on Facebook. The problem with that is Facebook is private space that masquerades as public space. Most of the internet is very much public space. Anyone can go register a domain, as you all know, and put out your content and say your stuff and put out your Uni, Unibomber manifesto and, and the whole thing. Um, but Facebook is like a shopping mall. And I don't mean that you go there to buy shit. It's that it acts like it's public space. Anyone can go into the mall, but there's mall cops and there's mall rules and they can boot you out and they can control and they can lock the door and they can determine what you see and don't see. So your Facebook comments are ending up inside this trapped universe of, of the Facebook world. Uh, and so they're no longer floating out there um, in, the, in the general internet, which means they don't get indexed by Google, which means that your motivation for putting a comment, because you think about why do people go put comments on a blog post. They do it to um, say, hey, write on to their friends, or they go in to show off how smart, th smart they are. Oh, look at my pithy thing. I've caught a mistake. I have some clarification. I have some pontification I'm going to make here, right? So if there's no motivation, if there's no incentive of being, look how smart I am, look how I'm showing off, everyone look at me, which <clears throat> there's the internet right there. Um, because those comments are trapped in some Facebook thing, what's the motivation for someone to spend their time going and putting a comment there? So that's kind of where it's at right now um, between the, the software problems and the psychological motivation. We're at a little bit of a, uh, a, 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 a sticky point, I think. Um, and people say, oh, well, people comment on Facebook posts all the time, but again, Facebook is trapped, Facebook has your content. When Facebook one day goes MySpace, goes GeoCities, like try and get in your content, exporting your content from Facebook, there's a good experiment for you. Yeah, it's totally like, or try to delete a Facebook page. You have to go through, and uh, in fact, Maffin uh, has, Maffin will get on the soapbox about this. You have to go delete individually every piece of content you've ever posted on Facebook before you can delete your account. And when you go delete it, you have to stay logged out. If you even have a login attempt in the next two weeks, they reactivate your account. They're totally like, uh, I'd call it a drug dealer business model, but that's, I think, a little bit... Uh, like Hotel California. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, yes. Or there's an island off of Greece where the only ferry that leaves is at 6 in the morning. Yeah, no one ever leaves the island. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the deal with commenting. Okay, let's see what other ones I have in here. We'll do a little recap, and then uh, the ones I haven't talked about, I'll talk about. Everything, nothing is new, you remember that one, right? 
Um, did you notice that's Elvis Costello and Elvis Presley? Record uh, album covers there. Did you notice that? So this has like two different layers of awesomeness. So first you have Elvis Costello and Elvis Presley um, with their album covers. And obviously Elvis Costello is remixing Elvis Presley. But also, um, you know, this is vinyl. Now, you know, six years ago when I took this picture, not everyone had a huge vinyl collection. Um, and this is also the point that uh, vinyl last year outsold streaming music sales. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah. 10 years ago, would anyone have predicted that? Nope. No? How's Kanye's new album doing on Tidal, by the way? Well, that's assuming that all the knuckleheads who download every, everything just arbitrarily ar download the internet every day. We're going to go out and spend 20 bucks on his album. So I think that's kind of false math. But that, that number is like, oh, he's already lost. But it's, uh, the, the music industry uh, changed in, in the 70s. And now it's changing again. But everyone who was disruptors in the 70s is now, oh my god. It's like when um, Barnes & Noble was whining about Amazon. You know, oh, we when we were disrupting, putting all the Ma and Pa bookstores out of out of business. That was cool disruption, but now you guys are putting us out of business. That's sad disruption. Uh, be your audience. That band is called Delhi to Dublin. That was at Comasket Festival. I did some great podcasts there if you're interested. I interviewed the Whalers. You know, like Bob Marley and the Whalers. Yeah. And by interviewed, <laughs> uh, drive the bus. We talked about that. Uh, do it yourself for the win. Um, and I still love making stuff like this. As you can see with the scrapbooks, I'm still, uh, I still like it analog. Uh, tech is just a tool. Awesome Leatherman. Uh, cute Italian stewardesses. I mean, uh, diligent social media evangelists. <laughs> uh, content loves context. Um, so the internet has turned into link bait, endless link bait. And what I mean is top 10 insert bottom feeder pablum here. Um, <laughs> Top 10 more of the same crap. It's all these link baiting. You'll never believe what happens next. <laughs> so much content is created, but there's no context wrapped around it. What I mean by context is um, someone, uh, a whole bunch of people go to a, uh, a protest of some kind, and everyone takes pictures and puts it on their Instagram. I've done my part, digital activism. I chose my Hudson filter. Totally awesome protesting now. And everyone does that, but there's no context. There's no one uh, curating and explaining what all of this means, right? So it's just kind of like rapid uh, pieces. Do you remember the video game Asteroids? Yeah. Where they're just coming at you from all kinds of different directions. Instead of having a thing that you can sit down and get your head around, there's just all these little pieces of information. Um, so an example of what, uh, what I... Uh, uh, okay, remember we did that Olympics a few years ago and all of a sudden for like a month Vancouver wasn't all uptight and we had like transit that was awesome and we could drink till late at night. Do you remember that? Okay. Um, I'd gone to some previous Olympics and I realized that if you're not, um, if you don't win a gold medal, get busted for drugs, or aren't like super attractive, you don't get any media coverage, right? And there's all these hospitality houses. All these countries have hospitality houses and they all want people to come. And there's all these other athletes that worked really super hard to come to the Olympics, but they're going to come in 42nd and no one's going to give them any attention. And then there's countries that send athletes to the Olympics that have no media covering them at all. Like the first, I was in the Salt Lake Olympics and I saw the first Nepali Winter Olympian ever. 
And you think in Nepal there'd be awesome Winter Olympics, but they don't have sherpering 400-pound loads up mountains in the Olympics. You know, they don't have ice advanced ice axing, so the Sherpas don't win anything. But the first Nepali Winter Olympian was doing the, the long-distance cross-country skiing. And like all the Norwegians had been by like half an hour before, and here's this little five-foot-two Nepali. So I shot a little video clip, and there was no Nepali... Nepali TV here, set up next to Brian Gumbel, doing all our coverage. There's none of that. So I sent that back to Nepal, and I was like, that was the one clip that exists of that dude. So I took that idea from Salt Lake, and I said, how can we make this like on a massive, massive scale? So we created an organization called True North Media House, and by organization, um, we had a name and a domain. Um, there's a lot of people thought that you have to incorporate everything, and you got to have liability waiver, and you have to have sponsors. I'm like, no, we don't need any of that stuff. We'll make three rules. One, you can, uh, like, you, you can self-accredit yourself, and then you can download your old, I brought my badge, just for the story. Okay, I'm, you can print out your own badge. It's a PDF on the website. You could still make one if you wanted to. And it's amazing what you can get into if you have just a badge hanging around your neck, right? <laughs> and then, um, uh, <laughs> And then there's, there's rules. Uh, take responsibility for my, um, for my work, um, meaning you couldn't publish under your, uh, an assumed name, um, and you couldn't just go out and slander and libel. You had to be responsible for your own work. There was no organization that was auditing your stuff. Um, had to put it out over a Creative Commons license, meaning it can be shared. It can't be sold, but it can be shared. And that you'll tag everything True North Media House because we set up all these aggregators to capture everything from the social web or static web or everywhere that had the True North Media House tag in it, and then rebroadcast it. And we so you know we had the robots helping us, and so we completely. Uh, and there's whole there's a doctoral student in Scotland has done a whole analysis of this with the W two angst ridden oh the world's ending Media House uh, True North Media House and the official Van, Van Ock folks, and we completely destroyed them, right? We had probably three, 400 people print out their own badges and walk around town making podcasts, making cameras, you know, doing camera and stuff. But two days in, all these hospitality houses realized that, uh, you know, Bob Costas isn't coming and rolling in to hang out with them, you know. Uh, they're not getting any coverage. So they all started to reach out to, to us. And I said, We're, our mailing list is open. Put a broadcast out to True North Media House and see who shows up. And so for the next two weeks, man, we like were rock star all over the place because uh, all these out outlets wanted coverage because they've invested huge budgets. Like one of my favorite was the Canada North House. So like none of the Northwest Territories in Yukon got together and they had their exhibit. But it was like natural history. Like they had a narwhal tusk. And everyone's like, wow, is there beer? Wah! And so no one was coming to their poor little thing. And so I, I remember one night I went there and I was interviewing, they had um, an Inuit throat singer. I'm interviewing her. And then CBC, this is where it got really meta, CBC realized what we were doing and they started following us around. And so for most of the Olympics, I had a camera crew following me around for CBC and then this film called With Glowing Hearts. And so I had, so I had me interviewing someone, the CBC crew here, then the, the With Glowing Hearts crew, and then these other True North Media House reporters taking pictures of the whole thing going, wow, this is really weird. An interview of an interview of an interview. And, but it produced so much content just by a bunch of geeks going in there for, uh, for an hour with 12 people, and we produced a ton of content. And they ended up staying open um, after the Olympics for another week. And I'm not saying we had a huge part to do with it, but yeah, we totally did. Um, That's 
And then it became like a game too, right? Um, to kind of just thwart the power structures. And uh, Russia House, which was at Science World, became like the boardwalk to get into. I never got in there, but uh, the stories that from out of there, holy smokes, some Russians, decadent. We were Germany. The, the one next to, to, to the waterfront station? It was across the street. Oh, oh, this one here was, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The German provinces split up, and they, they put a few things around, but, um, uh, so, by doing, gathering all that content from all these different mixed media story makers, we were able to uh, add context and actually make something that makes sense, rather than having just a bunch of ad hoc content, like the example of everyone going to a protest and taking their separate Instagram, we're able to aggregate, curate, and amplify all this content. Um, and then we became, like I said with CBC, a media story of our own. So I was in Wall Street Journal, uh, PBS Media Shift blog. The PBS Media Shift blog was, uh, article about us was really good. And then that with Glowing Hearts film. And we didn't spend anything on this entire project. Every year I pony up 15 bucks to renew the domain, because I think this you know, should still live up there. We don't own the content. All we did is made a design for a badge and inspired some people to be part of something bigger than themselves and added some context and some, some training. We invited some other journalists to do some little workshops about how to keep yourself out of trouble. Um, we had some lawyers on standby in case anyone had any problems. The RCMP came and met with us beforehand, which is really funny. Um, I teased them endlessly about, uh, about their lack of due diligence and invited them to our meetings if they wanted to, to roll in, but they couldn't come in uniform. Uh, you know, when you're not doing anything illegal, it's totally fun talking to cops. <laughs> um, okay, I have more stuff in here, but I think that I should uh, see what you guys have for questions, because this could take me down another rabbit hole, and I don't even know what time it is. Oh. Questions? Questions. Community building. Like, when you did True North Media, mm -hmm. what did you start with? How many people were involved? Because that was just kind of out of... Yeah, out of thin air. Um, the first thing we did, it, it really started with um, sending out a, uh, a, an open letter to Vanock, is how it started. Because I knew that just sending out a thing saying, let's all get together and do this, isn't very inspiring. You have to have some uh, controversy. You have to have... Uh, not an enemy, but you have to have a common purpose. So when Vanock um, denied all of our, meaning me and my other renegade media makers, media credentials, I sent an open letter to Vanock. And basically it's like, we're here, we're local, we're experts at this, just go have coffee and um, yay. And it got, this letter got a ton of attention, right? Because um, I seeded through all the stuff about all these media relationships, I seeded that with all of them beforehand. So when it dropped, when I sent it out, it ended up in 20 different outlets that day. And then right away I called, with that I called for a meeting of anyone interested discussing alternative independent media coverage, come to Rain City Studios in Gastown, just down the road at the time. And I thought 20 people show up, we probably had 80, 100 people show up to the first thing. But there was people coming with a lot of different agendas. Because leading up to the Olympics, Vanock did a terrible job of telling the story about how this is really going to be actually fun for all the folks, even if you don't. Because the stories were like, oh my god, it's $3,000 for a gold medal Olympic ticket. And it's like, forget that. For you know, Go see Team Latvia play somewhere, and you'll have way more fun. Because the Latvian hockey fans are the funnest. Oh my god. They make us look like 
Ah, yeah, we kind of like hockey. The Latvians, they're on their feet the entire game. People are getting a tuba into the arena, right? <laughs> I saw Latvia play Slovakia in World Juniors a while ago, and like, you could just pick one of the shittier teams in world hockey and play, and the fans are just nuts. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, they, Latvia are hard-pressed to win a game. They're just good enough to, to, come, to sit at the grown-ups table. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm like... With all the people complaining about how expensive all this is, what kind of dirt farmer do you have to be in Latvia to like fly here from Latvia? Because I don't think there's too many direct flights. And <laughs> staying at the hotel and doing all this. And they had, they had set up Latvia House. And, and, uh, um, and they, the Latvians were actually one of my big inspirations for the True North Media House project. But um, there was a, leading up to the Olympics, Vanock wasn't explained to people that it would be fun for regular folks. And the anti-Olympics, just for the sake of being anti-everything, folks kind of took over the narrative. And I totally respected their um, opinion. Um, their delivery sometimes was lacking, but I also provided a ton of coverage for those kind of people um, who had different uh, points of view. Um, so in those early days of this, it really started to get hijacked um, by people who wanted to turn this into a political activism thing. And I said, no, this is, anyone can join. If you're the um, born-again Christian toboggan club from Sweden and you want to come here and participate, you're totally, totally in. You follow these three rules, you do whatever you want. If you're the, my grandparents have been to every Olympics in the history and I'm the biggest Olympic fan, great. Sign up, follow the three rules. Where people wanted to make it in this politicized um, thing and that's where W2 came out of it. W2, um, oh, it's hard for me to explain this without, <clears throat> let's just say they, <clears throat> And so they ended up doing their thing with um, uh, the hand wringing and the oh my gods, and uh, but that's totally not what I was uh, I wanted to do because I also realized having attended Olympics previously that the, you don't want to have to bring the people to you. You want to be a movable feast and be able to roll all over the place with tall cans in your pockets and go find whatever is going on. Like if you get a ticket to something, you don't want to be well. I'm, I'm stuck here on staff, man, in the video editing booth. So that's kind of the direction W2 went. I realized that we don't need physical facilities, and all that does is complicate, because someone has to sign a lease agreement. For someone to sign a lease agreement, they have to take on personal risk. With that, they need insurance. With that, all of a sudden, we need sponsors, but they, no one can sponsor it because the Olympics have the lockdown on all the sponsorships. So I, I took the approach of, let's not pay anything. So it took, there was probably three meetings, kind of open meetings um, at first, and then the, uh, quickly people started to, to drop off because they'd see these problems because people had this idea that it had to be a physical space. And it's like, no, I'm not hosting Uncle Dave's Clubhouse for the Olympics because I know that I'll be there at 3 in the morning taking out trash and I want to be the one producing trash. The, I want to be a bus driver, not a party host, right? <laughs> um, so it drilled down to the point that... Um, um, oh, so Okay, so held the meeting... Then I put together a wiki, a wiki and a mailing list. And the wiki um, still exists, um, and that kind of started, started breaking everything down into tasks and committees and these sorts of things. And then it was like, uh, raise your hand to participate in this. If you go to truenorthmediahouse.com, it'll have links into uh, the wiki. And, and then there was the mailing list that I kept uh, relatively open, but then the mailing list started to get a little sloppy because people started to put out their politicalness or started to undermine other people's things. And this is what drives me nuts about formal nonprofit organizations is that it becomes, uh, the focus 
moves away from the focus in this was creating interesting stories about the civic and cultural changes undergoing in our city during this crazy fucking month, right? That was what I wanted to do. It, but it turned into this, um, how do we organize ourselves into subcommittees and who's in charge of this and who's drafting up a budget and isn't someone doing this? I'm like, no, no, no. Let's keep the, let's remove everything that isn't critically essential. Um, so drilled it down to the point of um, finding, you know, assigning someone to make the badge, assigning someone to write um, a, a guidebook. There's a great guidebook on True North Media House site all about um, basically how to stay out of trouble and what to do if you do get in trouble. Um, someone else, um, so it turned into specific assignments. And I'm not someone who likes to take, um, well, again, that bus driving role, and I sort of gave some gentle suggestions to people. You know, because I don't, an organization, if it's a nonprofit, good time organization, you're having to assign people and give them a deadline, guess what? All the fun just disappeared from it. And I was determined that I was going to have fun during the Olympics. Oddly enough, I started at Hootsuite a month before, just in January 2010 is when Hootsuite got its funding and really set out on its road. So I had a, I had a really busy few months there that didn't involve uh, um, much sleep, but a lot of good times. Um, and then once the thing got underway, my phone was continually ringing from all these media outlets who wanted to make me the story. I said, don't make me the story. Make, you know, just put the word out. Go to their mailing list, say, hey, I want to find some True North Media House accredited person who's doing some story this afternoon that I can tag along with or something, right? Um, the story wasn't about the organization, Ooh, which reminds me to tell you, brand your projects, not yourself. And I know this is, and one, uh, Remember where I was with the True North Media House. The reason I'm saying this, um, your projects are the interesting thing. And that's the seduction move that anyone who gets into your projects will then get into who you are. Because you're going to end up with all kinds of interdisciplinary creations throughout your professional existence, right? And if you're now branding yourself all around your name um, and everything's about you, then it becomes you have no distance between you and your projects. So. That's all I can kind of explain for this, but it's just something I found to be really important. Um, the thing, it's your, your personality and your personalness will connect all of your projects together, but think of each project as a discrete individual thing that's, you know, that makes up a little part of you, but don't make it all about you. There's a guy in Toronto that does the same kind of work that I does named Saul Colt, and for him, I look at his branding and his personal thing, and to me, it's everything I don't want to do. Now, he just made a big deal because he just auctioned himself off to all these different companies to hire him, and he made this big splash and got a bunch of media attention, but it's all about him, 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 him. Think about your creations, far more interesting. Okay, so True North Media House, um, specific assignments, specific gentle assignments, um, and then um, by keeping the mailing list open, so we'd have like hospitality houses, like, oh, we're having a special sabering of bottles of champagne, whatever the fuck that is, you know? And I'm like, don't tell me, send out an email to the, to the mailing list. Um, so by, um, and that happened over and over and over again. So basically, I didn't stand in lines. I got tons of free stuff. I saw some sporting events, I think. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I totally cried when it was over. Can't we have that? Why can't we have more nice things? But, um, so I guess to sum up, it would be right away making them feel like they're part of something bigger. The part of something bigger was Vanock and our tax dollars are being spent 
without us, we should at least be able to tell our stories because the mainstream media who have the, the rights holders aren't going to tell the stories that really matter to us, right? And I don't know if you remember, but there was the, the, the Canada Place 2 was built as the official media um, center, and only one country, one outlet per country gets that access, right? And not all of them were even in there. Some of them set up at, at the, the library and had different backdrops. For but then there was the BC Independent Media Center that was at Robson Square, right next to the ice rink. And that was run by BC government. And they called it a media center, but it was basically all the people who came second and third place on that list. Like CBC wasn't the rights holder for Vancouver. And so even CBC was in, in, the, in the BC Media House ghetto. Um, and, but really what that was was... Um, Okanagan wine producers, they want to get some journalists and take you on a day-long trip and we're going to go up here and we're going to drive up someplace and we're going to show you some, or don't you want to go on that Grouse Mountain gondola? We're going to do a special little media excursion. So it was just, it was just buying media coverage, right? But there's, you know, like, um, so that didn't really fill the purpose that we were, that we wanted to fill. So that being part of something bigger was, was established and we kind of positioned Vanock as a little bit of um, the uh, adversary, a little bit. But they did that themselves when they sent us back a letter that said, thank you for your open letter. And I, I, I did all my correspondence with them very publicly. And all these letters all exist on, on there. And, and I'm very diplomatic. But they sent us back the letter, thanks for all your keen ideas, gang. <laughs> Keep that... True North, strong and free, you know, yay, spirit, Olympic spirit, okay. <laughs> and then we just mocked them openly, and then it was game on. And uh, they actually invited me down, but not my colleagues, down to, um, and this is after we started the True North Media House project. Uh, they called in a bunch of local web and, I don't know, designy, communication-y kind of people, and they brought us down to have, uh, they brought in one of these facilitators, Brainstorm facilitators, one of these kind of guys, and great, we're gonna have a great time today, gang. You know, and we're gonna do some brainstorming. We've got some big papers here. We got some markers, and and then they brought in some, and so you got a, an audience of like uh, um, startup geeks, and then they brought in some Olympic athlete, and she'd won a bronze medal in Seoul in '88 or something. We we're supposed to be like. So what are, what are we here for? And they're like, and we have sandwiches. And they basically were like, so we need to build a website for the Olympics. And we need your help to do it. And I'm like, whoa, guys, you know, the Olympics, 18 months, right? You know, <laughs> These are big projects. And they had, you guys probably shouldn't tell everyone this, but um, Bell, as part of their sponsorship, had said, we're going to donate a whole bunch of different development, but they're donating developer hours at like 250 bucks per hour or whatever. And then they had these people running the project for Vanock who really had no idea about where Vanock ends and the Olympics begin and the media partners begin. Mm -hmm. And this is the entire, without that power structure, the entire Olympics collapses. Because the Olympics is a two-week-long TV commercial broadcast all over the world for your city, and oh, also there's some athletes doing some athlete stuff, right? Um, so without that power structure, the entire thing collapses. And they were like brainstorming ideas like, and then people from all over Canada can send in like a little video and we'll pop it up on the map and they can show what they're doing watching the, the Olympics. I'm like, who's going to curate that? Well, why do we need curation? I'm like, have you, oh my God, you guys don't know about how the internet works. 
the second post will be a penis, right? <laughs> and so you have to have curation. And I'm like, okay, now, okay, well, we can just have one of our staff just go and view everything. So you're talking about having tens of or hundreds of thousands of people posting these videos per day. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about what's that going to take for curation. And what's your guidelines? And what's your time limit? And what's your, what if it's political speech? What if it's someone wearing... Uh, um, wearing a shirt that has a, an Adidas logo on it when Nike's the sponsor. How about these things? Oh, geez, well, you're just poo-pooing all the ideas, you know? This is brainstorming. <laughs> and so I said, okay, any of y'all been to an Olympics? No, no, no. Okay, this is how it works. And so I used the Latvian hockey fans as the example. I said, what we need to do is take all the long tail. You guys familiar with the principle of the long tail? Um, we need to take all the long tail and put that out to all the the mamas and babas in, in, uh, in our papas and babas in, in Latvia um, so they can eat their pierogies and watch their boys play ice hockey, right? Um, you know, this is a worldwide thing. You need to think about international language. Is the mission of Vanock to provide event information and like logistic information, transportation? Oh, we want it to be more exciting than that. Okay, well, what's your mandate on this thing? Half the attendees of the, of the group walked out of the thing. Like throughout the thing, they're just like, oh, this is a waste of time. But because I'm an eternal optimist, and they had markers and big paper. Uh, <laughs> um, but at the end of it, I mean, Vanock didn't really have any kind of web, web presence. And that wasn't really their, their mandate. And I also set, encouraged them to, um, what they should be concentrating on is, remember all the, the, the free speech zones? Like you can protest here, but not here. And all the bunting and all the different all that information that was super confusing to people, like hanging a flag out of your window if you're within the downtown core might be considered a federal offense. All those sorts of things. So that's what you guys should be concentrating on is articulating this stuff. Oh, they said they're not really going to do anything. What does not really do anything mean to the guy who's in handcuffs? You know? <laughs> um, and then uh, I also went and um, when they had their official media briefing at Canada Place, I showed up. Um, with a video, there was a video crew following me there to like, well, we didn't get our official passes. And they're like, no, as soon as we walked in Canada Place, they're like, no, you can protest against the street. And like me and my buddy were like, no, we're here to, um, we're here to, we're journalists. We've applied for media coverage, but we didn't get in the mail. Just figured there's some mistake. Here's uh, my ID. You go check. And, that, and they made us stand outside and they had an armed guard on us while we we're doing this when they went and checked. And while well, we were finding them the list. And there's all these other schleppy reporters going in. And it's just to like to find out about, and we knew we weren't going to get in, but we wanted, you know stir shit up a little bit. So of course National Film Board was there. And so I ended up doing a 20 minute sit down with National Film Board, which they haven't released, but it's in the archive there somewhere. Um, but I had with glowing hearts there. And then because once you have two cameras on you, everyone assumes you're somewhat important, right? <laughs> so everyone's trying to figure out who is this hippie, you know? He's got an awesome beard, but what's with the coat, you know? And, uh, and so it became this whole, and another one of these little meta circles of conundrums. And I'm nobody, right? I'm just a dude who said, we should make articles about Latvian hockey players. But it's the same kind of secret that if you create something interesting, and um, that's how attention attracts, uh, attention attracts attention. And some great interviews though, you guys will, if you're curious about this, all this stuff exists because like I said off the top, I'm a big believer in the, the internet should have a, a longer memory than, uh, well, than it does anyway. So what's important to think about when you're thinking about curating some of these things? Like it seems to me like in a way, all these projects involve you, and for the project as a whole, mm. curating a bunch of content, whether it's, you know, Latvian hockey players or, you know, 
um, robots and, and procedures. Procedures are like what I said about like the canned responses. Like if, when I started Hootsuite, like that first week that I started the media kit, the dashboard, I started a wiki there, and I started to put in there every time I had some procedure about how to make this determination, how to deal with something if something happens, um, I put in there. So I always had a, a process to go back to. Then as I'd refine the processes, as, as I'd bring on the new Padawans, they would kind of level up and, and learn new processes about how do you make that, um, how do you make that call, when do you escalate, when do you push back, um, when do you delete and remove? And we ran into a lot of weird situations, right? Like, um, in a six-week span, we were, um, remember all that shit went down in Egypt? January 25th and all that? I meant to ask you to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all that shit went down in Egypt and all the protesters and the government and the, uh, super confusing. And, and all the organization was going on Twitter and Facebook. So the government said, we'll block Twitter and Facebook. So I come into work, and our Hootsuite's first office was downtown east side, rail town, um, super nasty. And, um, and I was living in Lynn Valley. I take the bus down, I do my tweets, and the thing, and I'm like, why is this? What's, what's with this? And the traffic had increased 9,000% overnight from Egypt. That's because Twitter and Facebook were blocked, but we use an API. So like a side door access to Twitter and Facebook. So for 36 hours or so, every message that went out from Egypt went out through Hootsuite. This included Christiane Amnipur's live interview with uh, Mubarak. This included all the US embassies, um, all the protesters. And the protesters are putting stuff, stuff out like, we're now using flags as bandages. And then, oh my god, you become, I become that sweaty guy in there. Uh, in the audience because right away you start to realize who these people are and you start to see the characters and you're, you're following this along the whole day and you start to actually like you're tracking the people's actions and movements and what's going on in, in their world. So uh, we're like how do you react to this because it's something I've seen in TV we're all citizens of the world these are human beings I'm, I'm going to admit it I'm a little bit of an emotional sensitive dude um, what do we do about this? How do we participate without being jackasses about it? So we made an infographic. Um, just very small at the bottom, data provided by Hootsuite. But we talked about, you know, because we had a very unique view on what was going on. So we, you know, the volume of all the hashtags, um, some key influencers, the volume that we saw, um, how much, how, the language, like just anything that we could statistically break down and make into an infographic. Um, and we put that one out, out to, that out to the world. The next day, the Voice of America, which is the America's propaganda station, uh, radio station, uh, media station to Iran, um, they contacted me, and I'm like, oh, I just saw you guys on the Daily Show. What's up? You know, <laughs> and like, um, saw your infographic. We'd love the information so we can compare and contrast with the Green Revolution in Iran, and and I'm like, sure, you know. <laughs> um, and just don't get anyone killed. And then uh, U.S. State Department contacted us, said, can we use your infographic? And we'd, by that time, we'd also put out a Spanish version of it, because why not? And they're like, but we only have the Spanish version. I'm like, wow, you guys are good, hey? You, find, <laughs> you found nothing? And, uh, and then they were like, uh, oh, and also, do you have any information about Tunisia? I'm like, don't you have the CIA to do shit like that, man? You know? And then, um, and then a couple 
a month or so later, they sent out a, a diplomatic wire, like one of those things that WikiLeaks keeps on leaking, WikiLeaking, um, all about breaking down exactly how they used our tool to quite a pretty geeky level during, uh, during all the protests where they used the geolocation feature. So they're only getting tweets mentioning January 25th that were coming from within Egypt, right, rather than everyone retweeting, with you, Egypt. Jan 25, hashtag, I got a t-shirt. I'll change my avatar. Um, so, uh, and then National Geographic contacted us. And, and so I said, yeah, use the infographic. And they're like, no, we need your original official data set because they weren't going to be done in by a bunch of squirrely dot-com marketers because infographics are all lies. You know that, right? Um, so they want our uh, uh, original uh, data set um, so we dug that up and sent an original data set. They remixed it into their own, uh, remember everything, nothing is new. They took my Elvis Presley and turned it into an Elvis Costello. And um, one day I got a, uh, an Egypt issue, Cleopatra on the front, wasn't a real picture of her. Uh, and then inside their infographic, which was nowhere near as cute as ours. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, that was like, you couldn't have predicted. How, how do you react in case of but now, after that, I made a procedure. And that actually became a procedure. And so um, the next month, there was their, we had arrived at South by Southwest to do, uh, you guys know what South by Southwest is? Big film, geek, music conference. It's like the Olympics for our industry. It's where all the companies break. That's how you kind of enter the big leagues. You, you win South by Southwest. You know, it's where Twitter broke, when it was like an SMS tool. Periscope. Um, Not Periscope. Um, or Periscope. Uh, Meerkat. Meerkat. Yeah. And then, and, yeah, and uh, Foursquare had their year in the sun. You know, all the companies have their year in the sun. Um, and we had ours, and it's in that film Generation Social. Um, we arrived, to, and, and, and the big deal at South By is, you know, like people do trade show booths, they do parties, or they do panels, and getting your panel accepted is like this big deal. But like no one really goes to the panel because they're too busy drinking $2 beers or free beers. Um, but anyway, we had this panel called Big in Japan ripped off the name of, from the Tom Waits album. It was all, gonna talk all about how we built our brand in Japan. Um, and we had, well, panelists, you know, from different companies that done similar things. We arrive in Austin at the airport, all over the TVs is the Japanese uh, earthquake and tsunami and nuclear meltdown. And we have a panel the next day called Big in Japan. Well, on the TV is the biggest, blah, 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 big, big in Japan. I'm like, wow, this is some great promo. Those are houses floating away there. And so I had to use these same kind of, you know, create another procedure. I put our Japanese tech support guys on human tech support, um, you know, helping people. And then using the geolocation thing, by then the geolocation thing was to a point that people were like, I need rescued, I need help, I'm trapped under a building. And send out geo, geo data with their, with their tweets. And rescue services were actually locating them through that. And I'm like, we're just a bunch of like geeks in downtown east side trying to make a little Twitter thing. We're not in the life-saving <laughs> political revolution business, but it turns out we were inadvertently. Um, so we thought about not doing the panel. Instead, we did the panel, did a moment of silence, and we'd send out a tweet as a fundraiser to donate to um, you know, Red Cross, Salvation Army. And of course, then people go, oh my god, Red Cross, Salvation Army, those are terrible. I'm like, donate someone, dude. You know, <laughs> like, quit your whining. Can we non-politicize this for just a second. Um, and it ended up uh, 
being a massive fundraiser for Japan, South by Southwest ended up giving all their proceeds from that year to Japan Relief. Um, and, but it was the same thing about having a procedure. Um, that same stretch of time, um, Amazon Cloud Services, web cloud, everyone's websites don't live on boxes anymore, they live on in clouds that have boxes in them. Amazon Web Services runs like a ton of these websites that you visit every day. And they had a major, major shutdown. And, um, but instead of throwing Amazon under the bus, like everyone else did, it was like Foursquare, Netflix, um, a dozen other companies were affected, but it was all over TV news. It's the kind of story that bubbles up to TV news. And I had, in my news gathering thing, I had a tool that showed me every TV broadcast where Hootsuite was mentioned too. And I had that weird thing where I watched like 20 news clips of different, like the guy with the salt and pepper hair and the woman with the blonde hair helmet reading the news. And it was all the same AP Newswire news. And I watched a bunch of these clips and they're all trying to pronounce these dot-com company names that are spelled all weird. So I'm, and hot suit, you know, and, and they're all reading this thing. Um, but all, our, uh, all these other companies, they were like, oh, Amazon, all Amazon, all Amazon. I kept all our customers informed all throughout the day, but never set blamed on Amazon. I pointed to articles that would insinuate that. And after it all, um, Amazon did a great case study with us. And for a young startup, that's a really valuable thing for us because it gave us, again, anything that anyone says about you is more powerful than you say. And all of a sudden, we had Amazon saying, look at Hootsuite, they're shiny. Um, and we did the ceremonial exchange of swag and ended up you know, building the relationship um, out of that rather than um, messing it up. Libya happened that month too when um, Wall Street Journal got all on board with this sensationalized article that using a .ly domain name, every time you click on a bit.ly or an owly link, basically Qaddafi kills a kitten, was basically what they'd come up with. And they had a news thing with like the excited British guy speaking really fast in British accent, which gets people terrified, especially in America. And, and then the big tech expert that they brought in via Skype and a little split screen thing, and he's this, looks like he hasn't left his basement for months, big mug there, he's got his headphones on, and like basically as we determined, they kill a kitten every time. And uh, so we went on the offensive on that. We put on a quote saying, if you don't want to support Gaddafi's regime, I suggest you stop buying oil and put on infographics showing how the internet actually works. Um, and ended up getting a lot of positive coverage out of it. And it's a story that, never that hasn't ever really gone away. Every, every six months it sort of um, comes up again. But the, the master stroke I did on that one was um, registered Owly uh, with a dot .li, which is Liechtenstein. And let me ask you, who hates Liechtenstein? <laughs> Maybe Luxembourg? And uh, so we announced that now you can choose between Auli and Auli. And, uh, and because loads of US government, Department of Homeland Security, all the US military, the White House, blah, 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 Department of State use Hootsuite, you'd think that some of those, if there was a really, they really had a concern, they would switch from Libya to Liechtenstein, but no one did. But it allowed us to have that hammer to say, all right, you can talk shit about us. We've done our part. Ooh. That's time. Yeah. All right. That was fascinating. Yeah, stay forever. Now, why don't you guys ask me a question? Just you guys. I didn't get any questions. More hogs. Questions. Come on, somebody ask me to run really easy so I don't take up any more time. Yes, in the back row. Um, how do you hire this nonprofit scout group that's been trying to get a little more eyeballs? Recently, looking at our website and blogging, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Um, the value you get from a 24 article is almost nil. Um, the Vancouver Sun, you can use that to build more coverage of. And really the purpose of getting the Vancouver Sun coverage is it's going to make the people who are already volunteering in your organization feel better about what they're doing because there's going to be some validation. And all of a sudden they have that thing that they can show their friends and relatives like this is what I'm working on. But if you're, it really kind of comes back to your fundamental goals as an organization. Is it to raise money? Is it to help people in this situation? Is it to raise awareness? Um, but I would say unless, you, um, and, and don't approach those media outlets saying we're an organization doing this big broad, structure, broad uh, stroke thing. You need to find some specific thing that you're doing. Oh, we're doing a campaign next Tuesday where we're doing a, a you know, marathon pie baking thing um, to represent this thing. So you gotta get something very, very specific for them. And you kinda gotta feed them the story. And this is what I was saying about the media releases. You write that story like that you want them to publish. So uh, you start the story, an organization focused on, insert what you're doing here, uh, in Vancouver is hosting uh, a campaign event thing um, to raise awareness for people with this situation or to help the specific person with the goal of blurb. And then, so you have that as your first paragraph. So you've set up your angle, who this is relevant to, um, and then you start putting in there what it is that you seek from this thing. Uh, you know, the organization hopes that community members will step up with donations of warm coats and free houses and magic unicorns. Um, but you frame that story, and then you, um, but in order to get that publication, you need to find those people at Vancouver Sun and the 24 and so on that are the specific people that are going to be interested in writing about what, what you do. Um, an organization has done a great job of this, my friend Jenna, with Make It, the Make It Show. It's like a big handmade arts and craft show. And four years ago, you know, there's no one getting coverage, but then the media realized that it's great photo ops. It's an interesting thing because you get smiley faces holding curious handmade items. Yay, festive fun, and look, there's a startup story behind it. So you need that, that visual impact story to show them. But you need to find the reporters who would write about your stuff, right? And then you need to start following them on all the social channels. I don't mean creepy stockings, but um, you know, make a Twitter list. And I, I use Twitter lists like crazy um, of all like media outlets and be seeing what they're writing about, seeing what they care about, see where you can give them a retweet, see where you can give them a comment or an opinion. If you see them writing about some other article and you happen to know about that, say, reach out to them and say, hey, I, you know, do you want to talk about this more? I can offer some, some color on this. So three months from now, you've buddied up with all of them and you've formed those relationships. I'd also say that the best media gets that you can get in town aren't the Vancouver Sun anymore. It's Miss 604 and Vancouver's awesome. And Bob and Rebecca are both the sweetest kind of... Rebecca is incredibly shy and very, very sweet. And, um, and Bob's a total geek who'd rather be fishing. Um, but they get you, because they're more actionable, and the people who are reading it, it's, it's an active, it's an interactive experience, obviously. Um, where the newspapers, I don't see that bump from the newspaper anymore. So I'd say um, don't carpet bomb them. Use sniper mission for the media. Use them when you really need them, but start nurturing the relationships now. Is there somewhere we can find a sample of press releases? Because that's actually not the way that most people approach press releases. And I know oh, you're actually right. Oh, yeah, for sure. I know I'm right. I know, well, I know you're right. We all know you're right. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, one of these days I should, you know, write this stuff down. But this is the first time I've 
talk to anyone about any of the stuff since it's your last year. So I'm, uh, I, I don't know. And even like, you know, since I, and you know, honestly, um, you know, my colleague, now that I'm not running shit at Hootsuite, I mean, Hootsuite's turned into a very different company. I mean, it's a big billion dollar corporation. Now you do things differently than you do in a startup. You're not building as much as managing. So things are different now. But if you go back in the archives and look at all the early shit from Hootsuite, you'll see a very tangible examples of all this. Plus, on my Devo story, it's a complete mess. Yes, I accept volunteers to help me. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the coverage that I did to build coverage, like anytime someone reach out, and this is actually a good follow up to your question. Anytime anyone would reach out and want to do a podcast with me, like some interview, no matter how small, no matter how chump change it was, I would do it in those early days because then I built up this huge archive, right? So then people, if they, you know, if I'm trying to get in with someone, they can go back and listen to that and say, oh yeah, he gives a pretty good interview, he gives some good talk, or. Um, you know, they, it kind of validates them so they're more willing to take a, a risk on you. And then you, if you already have 50 things, people feel like, oh my god, I'm late to the party. I should already cover, cover this or whatever. I remember one thing you did, and I know we're way over time, is um, early on you used to do, on behalf of Ryan Holmes, you used to send out emails and you'd say, hi, Suzanne, this is what we were doing today at Hootsuite. And I mean, I always thought it was Ryan. But it was Dave who was doing it, um, and th you know that was valuable to me because I felt that personal connection to Dave. Um, and we did Ryan's signature at the bottom of yeah. it. Yeah. And Dave um, Beers does the same thing. He sends out these emails. That are Dave who? Dave Beers from the Titan. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. These emails that are the same. Yeah. Titan's a nice get too. Yeah. You know, like find though. That's another good follow up to the answers. <laughs> You know, Vancouver Sun or the province can seem like the big fish, but you don't necessarily want the big fish. You want the ones that um, are actually going to give you deep, deep coverage, too. Yeah. I mean, 24 hours, um, 24, um, when, when that Egypt shit went down, I mean, we got, we got this much in Wall Street Journal and New York Times. We got that much in 24 squeezed in next to a picture of Britney Spears, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, keep in mind that Van, uh, Hoots, Vancouver Media gave us no love until we were big somewhere else. It's always that. Yeah, so, it's always the worst. Yeah. I mean, Vancouver eats its young. Um, <laughs> but, it's liquor, same thing. Oh, yeah. Stewart's yeah. stuff. Well, even Slack. Until like, slack only thing. recently has yep. Vancouver figured out that Slack is from here. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh... So, yep. thank you, Dave. We could stay for hours, but we can't because we have to start off. So, thank you very much. <laughs> dossier, I like that. I see you dossier. Yeah. Yes, dossier of importance, and it has a string on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you don't get handouts today. And I didn't even read from these serious looking books on my desk either. Next year. Next time. <laughs> you guys will have to come back. So how can they reach you if they want to volunteer? Should, can I give the um, email? Oh, um, yeah. Okay. It's a great opportunity if you guys have the time. What exactly are you looking for, like, for us to organize and just like have?
It's just like totally like zone out and like have some show that you've already seen in the background on and categorize things. Um, and I have like in when you go to the site there'll be a little thing that says like something about project, blah blah blah. And it has a bunch of random tasks in there that aren't very clearly organized and um, but basically that's it. And then also as I've gone through like cleaning up some of my old talks and stuff, I realized that the videos don't exist anymore or there's broken links. So in some cases kinda like scouting down a new link. Okay, I'll have to run up to tutorial, Dave, so... Okay, I'm taking I, a hug. I, you got a hug yes, for payment, right? Yes, no, no, you're getting to this. Okay, so we'll see you next time. Yes. And uh, on Twitter and Facebook and all that. And yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. That was...